changed things up yesterday as I was praying. I've still got the sermon for next week that, uh, you know, we're doing our series on holiness. And I just felt like, uh, for one thing, I felt like it was important that, that our church body as a whole be here for that last message on it. And also, uh, but I didn't want to just do any old thing this morning. I prayed and all, all day long yesterday, uh, I was just seeking the Lord and with the Lord. And, and the Lord gave me a word for our church and uh, for this church and for this morning, for this body. And we'll finish up our series on holiness um, next week. So I encourage you to be part of that. But I want you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. We probably don't even need to turn to it because you probably could quote it. I know you're going to recognize it as soon as we look at it. But I just wanted to start here with this one scripture, James chapter 4. Verse 7, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I'm not trying to be very melodramatic or overreact about everybody being sick, okay? And these things happen. Obviously, this was the Lord's uh, time. He allowed this to happen right now, okay? But at the same time, I do believe that uh, the devil, our adversary, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, is wanting to hinder us in any way possible. He, he is. The Bible tells us that. So that's not a secret, even if people weren't sick today. So I'm just using the sickness as a little example, okay? That uh, I don't believe this is a huge attack of the devil and we're panicking or anything like that. But at the same time, I do know that we have an enemy. The Bible tells us right here, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit means to willingly bring yourself under the authority of another. That is submission in the Bible terms. It's, it's different if it was like um, we, we, we think of slavery or our, uh, a country taking over another country and taking uh, hostages and captives and they chain them up and they make them do what they want to do. The people that are taken hostage or captive have no say-so in the matter. They're just slaves or they're servants or they're killed or they're imprisoned. And there's no say-so at all. That is not what the Bible talks about when it says yield yourself to God, submit yourselves to God, be in subjection to the Father of Spirits, it says in Hebrews and live in Hebrews 12. It's talking about a willing submission and a willing subjection. That would be like wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, okay? And when you put it that way, then it's not some big negative uh, downer kind of thing to submit. I don't want to submit to Satan. I don't want to submit to my flesh. I don't want to submit to some ungodly uh, ruler, government, or something like that, or leadership. But I, we can absolutely submit to the Lord to yield willingly or to bring ourselves willingly under the subjection of another and say, be my Lord, be my Savior. I'm your child. Paul said willingly he was a bondservant of the Lord, which means a slave, but not an abused slave, someone who has chosen that life and chosen to come under that authority. So that's what James is talking about when he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. I think this is a practice. I don't think it's a one-time thing. We did it once, I did that a year ago, and so that's taken care of. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. It does not mean he'll never come back. Okay? I think this is a practice of walking with God as long as we're on this earth, of submitting ourselves to God, uh, resisting the devil. That means we're standing against him by the, the power that the Lord's given us to do so and in his name and his authority. Satan is trying to hinder us from worshiping God. Satan is always, and he is with this sickness, but just in life. He's trying to hinder us from uh, worshiping the Lord, from gathering together, from seeking, seeking God. And there's a lot of different ways in which he can try to do that. But God would have us to fight. And I guess that's my, my thought for this morning, that there is a fight going on. This is not a whole uh, series or anything on spiritual warfare, but it is to understand that we're in a fight and that God expects us to fight. We're not just bystanders watching it on TV. We're living this Christian life, right? We were in sin. We were lost. We were separated from God. And the Lord saved us. His life and His Spirit is now in us. And there's a transformation going on. We're born again. We're saved as we'll ever be. But there's a transformation going on to make the new believer, that's you and me, more like Jesus Christ. There's a very real devil. He's real. He's not running around with a pitchfork and horns and a costume on. He's not stomping up and down in hell in the king of hell. The Bible says he's walking to and fro through the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Okay? And so, because the, simply the fact that we're born again and belong to Jesus does not mean that we are, uh, that Satan won't come against us. He absolutely will come against us. If you picture it this way, you picture the devil being uh, the captain or the general of a military. And he's fighting. He's got schemes and plans and, uh, to, take, to take people captive. Well, if he's already got a big group of people captive, and he can just put, basically put a lock on there and put a few guards on, he's got those people. Okay? And the Bible does say that uh, Satan has blinded the minds of them who believe not. They didn't believe, and because of their unbelief, Satan came and it almost looks like he added further to securing them, them in that position of unbelief. All right? Doesn't mean they can't be saved, but it does say Satan has blinded the minds of them who believe not. And the Bible says that the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. Now just picture that. The whole world lies in the embrace. You know, all cozied up to and warm and comfortable. Whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. And so Satan, uh, he's got the, the worldlings, so to speak, the unbelievers. He's pretty much got them already. And the Lord sent us to pluck people out of the fire to get them out. But the fact that you've given your life to Christ and I've given my life to Christ does not mean we're off limits to Satan's attack. In fact, I believe the Lord actually allows it to show forth his power, to show forth his might. You know, you picture uh, Egypt in its heyday and Moses' day. They were the world power, right? And the Lord actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, I don't believe in, in a predestination of souls, you know, in the election and Calvinism. But I do believe that Pharaoh was already an unbeliever. He worshipped the gods of Egypt, right? He was an idolater. And the Lord took an idolater and hardened his heart. 
And he set up this battle, basically, between Egypt and the God of Egypt, Egypt, Egypt and the gods of Egypt, and Jehovah. He wanted it that way. And he had Moses, who was uh, a Hebrew, chose to identify himself with the people of God with a staff in his hand, okay, and his brother Aaron, Moses, who didn't speak well, and his brother Aaron with no weapons but a staff in their hand against mighty Egypt because God wanted to show his power and his might against that. So the Lord has left us here as believers because we're salt and light. And he wants to use us to not only pluck people out of the fire, I would say it's a main thing to, to, to reach people with lost people with the gospel that they would be saved, but also to show forth his might, even a bit, uh, even uh, in the eyes of those who adamantly oppose the Lord. You know what I mean? And are shaking their fists. Like Egypt said, I will not let the children of Israel go. And he even said, who is this God that I should obey him? So it wasn't just about Moses. It was about God and the gods of Egypt, right? God set that up that way. He wanted it to be that way. And he showed who was the Lord. You know, that last plague, the night of the, the first Passover and so forth, the angel of death passed and then showed it again by parting the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh's armies. He showed who was God. He brought his people out and says they came out with the high hand of God. He brought them out. It doesn't matter who was ruling. doesn't matter what king or what pharaoh or what military or chariots of iron or how many or how poor and weak and uh, uh, the, the Jews were and they were slaves. God showed himself as being mighty and he brought them out. <clears throat> and God wants to do that in our lives. But I want us to know this morning, the Lord wants us to know this morning that we are, we are in a fight and he wants us to be actively engaged in that. All right, and so we're just going to talk about it a little bit this morning. He wants us to push forward. Anybody seen the movie The, the Patriot? Okay, everybody's seen that movie. Uh, and towards the end, when the, the last big battle, there was like a turning point in the war, right? Remember when, uh, where the, the, the British soldiers were really advancing and, and the, the, colon, the colonists were retreating and so forth, and somebody grabbed the flag, I forgot who and started pressing back towards the enemy, grabbed the American flag, and said, no, push forward, push forward, push forward. And he's heading right into the midst of the enemy, right into the midst of the guns and the bayonets and everything like that. And he says, push forward. And when people looked and they saw that flag and they saw somebody, hey, they're not retreating, they're going forward. And it changed something. I know that was a movie. It was probably uh, dramatized quite a bit, but still... Uh, it caused uh, an effect on the people. And American soldiers kind of renewed their strength and they went forward and they won that battle when it, they jacked, uh, grabbed uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. And the Lord wants us to push forward. He wants us to take new ground. So just keep that little picture of the, the, uh, the patriot in your mind. He wants us to walk in greater love. He wants us to walk in greater power. Uh, he wants us to walk in greater victory over sin, personal sin in our lives. And he wants us to rightly represent him on this earth. It's not just a plateau. We talk about it all the time. The Christian life is not just a plateau. I was lost over here. I'm saved over here. And I'm just leveled out. One day the rapture will come and I'll die. But till then, it's just a wide open plain. It's not that. It's never been that. 
okay? When we were lost in the world and in the embrace of the wicked one, we were just bound up in that darkness. Now we're children of light and there's a walk and there's a race set before us and there's a journey and there's a fight to fight. And all these uh, scriptures are given. And it says, Paul said, now they do it to obtain a, a corruptible prize. Talking about the Olympians and the, the, the athletes of the day. But we an incorruptible. Everything in this life is about walking on with God and God showing his power and might through weak, feeble little people like you and me. Who are we to stand against a government? Who are we to stand against uh, the devil? Who are we to stand against an ideology of evolution or humanism or, or atheism or the education system? Who are we? And God always puts sprinkles of salt. I just picture people being sprinkled all over the planet in those little areas where he's put us. He wants to show his might through weak people. He's chosen the weak things to confound the wise. Right? The things that are base and that the world despises to bring to nothing the things that are mighty, that think that they're so mighty and so strong, yet they're without God. God wants to show himself through your life and through my, my life, but we, we need to be engaged in, in this fight. This fight, uh, you know, it's like, as I said, this life is not just a plateau. There's a striving, there's a fighting, there's a wrestling. These are scriptures that are used as a working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a life of leisure, but it's a life of warfare. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have, that our life is, is characterized by like just misery and bloodshed. It's not. But it's just understanding this time of our lives on this earthly life as believers is just like those in Hebrews 11 that were considering themselves strangers and pilgrims. They knew all along this world is not our home. We need to know all along this world is not our home. We're going to be really sad and really disappointed as Christians if we think this is all there is and I'm, I need to go out to be the most popular and the most wealthy and the most this and the most liked and the most appreciated and it doesn't happen and we get all bent out of shape about it and wonder what's going on. No, he wants us to know, no, you're in a fight right now. Doesn't mean you don't have joy inwardly in your hearts and peace that passes this world's understanding. We do have that. It's inwardly. Outwardly, there's conflicts and turmoil and warfare because we're still on, in hostile territory is how I would put it. God has given the God of this world, Satan, this world for a season, for a time. There's a time limit on it. Okay, and there's also a uh, extent of his power. In other words, it's not complete. He doesn't have a complete authority over Jordan's life because Jordan belongs to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So God has limited Satan in his power, but he has given him a measure of power and he calls him the God of this world. I want you to turn your Bibles and let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The whole point of this message today, I believe, is that God wants us to be aware of the fight and be engaged in the fight. Not just a spectator watching somewhere on the sidelines. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, that's our physical bodies, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And it simply means they're not natural or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
God has saved us. He's made us his sons and daughters. And y'all, he's equipped us and empowered us to live the life he's called us to live. Don't ever think that God can save you but not keep you. He can't. He's, he's our savior to the utmost. He can preserve us. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit until that day of redemption, like till our completion of our salvation when we're with the Lord, okay? But he's able to save us and keep us and he keeps us by faith. The Bible says we're kept, we're kept by faith. If we will keep our faith in this almighty God who saved us, in his son Jesus Christ, if we will keep our faith in him, he is able to keep us, all right? He is able to preserve us and keep us and he can even strengthen our faith when we doubt. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But the Lord, y'all, has absolutely equipped us for this fight. We're not dropped out in the middle. Uh, the Lord, Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, sheep didn't have a chance in the midst of wolves. I was just watching some nature show this week, and it was showing these uh, dingoes over in uh, Australia. They've taken over to these wild dogs. They said it's the biggest killer in uh in Australia, it kills more than crocodiles or anything else. These packs of dogs, they're very aggressive, and they, they showed them. And they said, for, for a dingo, a sheep is just like fast food, where we would pull into the drive-thru and, you know, get a cheeseburger or something. A uh, sheep is just nothing. It showed them running down a sheep. The sheep puts up no resistance. It runs off a little bit. It goes back, and it falls down, and they just tear it up, and, and there's no kind of resistance. And the Lord uses that and says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. But he says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And he says he gave his disciples power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of disease. You understand? He gave them authority, but it's, it's what he gave. And it's in his name. It's not self uh you know, uh, provided or invented. It's not inerrant to ourselves. It's inerrant to us as children of God because of the new birth. So even though the, the picture would be, and the world would look at it, certainly, you're just a sheep in the midst of wolves on that college campus. Nobody believes in Jesus Christ. Nobody believes marriage should be between one man and one woman for the most part. Nobody believes in uh, that fornication, that you should abstain from any kind of fornication, you know, wait to get married to enter a kind of relationship like, like that. Nobody believes that this day. But the Lord's with us, and this is His truth, and when the dust is settled and they brought, they'll face Him as judge one day, we're going to be there with the Lord. And He's going to say, enter, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, a good and faithful servant. We're not powerless, I guess is what I'm saying. We have the truth. We have the sword of the spirit. We have all the armor of God, the shield of faith that protects us and the helmet of salvation that we know that we know that we belong to Jesus. We're not powerless in this thing, although it might look like it. Moses with the staff did not look like that one man standing there did not look like any match for mighty Egypt, right? And same thing for Daniel in Babylon or, or in the, the face of the lions when he was thrown down in there. We might look that way. And sometimes when we get our eyes off the Lord, we might look at ourselves that way. That I'm just out there and there's this overwhelming tidal wave coming against me, a tsunami tidal wave coming up on the beach and I'm just standing here, I'm about to get blasted. That's the way it looks. 
But we go to the Word of God. We submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. The Bible tells me that. There has to be a submission to the Lord and a resisting of the devil. So I just want to move on. Uh, <clears throat> the world we're living in, y'all, is hostile territory. The Bible describes it as a crooked and perverse generation. And he has chosen us to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation or an age, right? You know what the Bible says? Um, I saw this only on an email. I didn't read about it in the paper or anything like that. It just shows to me the characteristics uh, of the world, I mean, of our country right now. There was a recent Supreme Court decision that was made. I'm thankful for it. It was the right one. That's probably why you don't ever hear about it. But our Supreme Court just ruled against uh, indoctrinating public school students into Sharia law. Because that has been going on in California a lot of places. They'll teach it as a cultural thing, but they really are teaching Sharia law in Islam. Whereas you couldn't teach the Bible in a public school, right? We all know that. Couldn't teach the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes or something like that. But you could teach Islam and Sharia law in our public schools. Our, our Supreme Court finally ruled on that. I don't know what the specific case was. It said... In a five to four vote, no, you can't do this. And I'm thinking to myself, why would that even have to be a five to four vote? Why would that have to be so narrowly passed? God gave us mercy on that one, okay? And the deciding vote was the new Judge Gorsuch that got put in place, and he wrote this, uh, I forgot what you call it, what do you call it when you write a thing on the end of it? Opinion? Opinion on it, and uh, it was really good. It was plain and simple, but the point is, that's a fight, that's a tooth and nail fighting it out for something that should be obvious, right? You can't teach the Bible at all, but you can teach Sharia law in the, in the schools to our students, and they've been doing it. That should be a no-brainer, and yet it was a fight, and it was only because the Lord put this last judge in here to tip the tide a little bit to spare us. Now, we know the whole world's going down, but, but the point is, it just shows the, the characteristics of the world in which we live. If you're in 2 Corinthians still, turn to chapter 4. And we're in the midst of a fight, y'all. But we're not in the midst of a fight helplessly or unequipped or powerless in this fight. We have the might of the Lord on our side. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's the Lord. That's the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. So it's the treasure of the Lord in an earthen vessel. That's your body and my body as a believer. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So you got this weak looking little vessel. Okay? Just a Dixie cup. You know, or something like that. But it's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filled with the Lord. Why? That the power might be of God. And that the world may take note, it's Jesus. It's not me. It's the Lord. It's His power. It's His might. Demons have to flee at His name. The dead can be raised in the name of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And so, it's that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side. That's the description. We're in hostile territory, Right? We are, as believers, troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. 
persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So there's always this measure of persecution and rejection and not being accepted and opposition coming against us. There's always, unless we're a church, amen? That's a sanctuary. It's a safe haven where we come together with like-minded believers. We need this, okay? Because all the more as we see the day approaching, because every other avenue of life, you are going to have some measure of persecution and opposition, even if it's just sort of neutral and they're not saved or, but they, you know, they're not necessarily anti-Christ. They're just, they're not going to understand you and where you are in your walk with the Lord. It's the world in which we live. God uh, desires to show forth his might and through our lives. And he says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So he understands full well the sort of state or predicament, if you want to call it, that we're in. We're not in the majority. I don't think we'll ever be in the majority. In heaven, we will be. We're not going to Christianize the world like the millennials believe and, and then usher in this new utopian kingdom of Christ because we subdue the earth uh, through politics and things like that, through the Christian TV shows. It's not going to happen. We're here to preach this gospel and to bring as many people as we can and then disciple them if we have the, the opportunity to make disciples of all men and go on with the Lord and do that and bring as many, by all means, a Jew says, save some, right? By all means, save some, that people will be born again. But I believe the enemy's after us. He's after our families. He's after our church. And we're not to be ignorant of his devices, the Bible says. That simply means we're not ignorant of his, that means purposes, his thoughts, his mind. We understand what he's about because God's word tells us. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, he's crafty and he's deceitful and he can appear as an angel of light. We understand this. He tries to erode truth by attacking the word of God. He tries to mock uh, the people of God, to belittle them in the eyes of the world. All these different things. He tries just the, the brute force of imprisoning Christians or beating them or killing them. And all these things, and the Bible says that by the blood of the martyrs, the, the, the church just grows and it spreads. It really is upsetting to the devil. It really frustrates him because he can't overcome the light that's in us. When, when Peter and John were persecuted for pre healing the lame man and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it says they, they beat him and let him go, but they could not withstand the wisdom with which they spoke. And same for Stephen when they were stoning him. They were ignorant, unlearned men, they said, but they took knowledge they had been with Jesus. And they were confounded by the boldness and authority which with, with which these men spoke. They were weak, they were unlearned, they were fishermen. They weren't anything in the world's eyes at all to stand up against this council, religious council. And yet... The, the people were shut up. They were confounded by the boldness and the wisdom that they spoke. You know what that was? That was the Lord by His Spirit speaking through them. It wasn't Peter and John. Because Jesus said, when you're brought before councils and magistrates and so forth, it's not you who speaks, but my Father who'll speak through you. So that's the same testimony they gave of Christ. This man spoke with authority. We never heard anybody speak like him. Even de demons obey him. Well, the same Spirit in Jesus, 
spoke through Peter and John and Stephen and his Enochs. We're not helpless and hopeless and in despair. And I'm not preaching this sermon so that we'd be afraid or be in despair. I just want us to understand from the Word of God that we're in a fight and He wants us to be actively engaged in the fight. We're not just riding it out, so to speak. I'll sit this one out. But you can't have you can't sit this one out. You got one life to live for God. Okay? This is it. You don't have a redo. You don't know that you can have tomorrow. You think when I'm this age, I'll do this. When I'm this age, I'll do this. When I'm getting a little older, I'll wind down and retire and play golf or fish or whatever. You don't know that you can have tomorrow, James says. And that's foolish and it's boastful to think that we have this life and I need to live it for Jesus. Okay? And I'm not, not to live in fear of this big devil that's out there. He is big and he is powerful and he's stronger than me, but he's not stronger than the, my Lord in me. He's not stronger than me in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? And I need to know that. And I need to walk that, walk in that. And so uh, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. He doesn't want us to walk in fear at all. We need to know that our God is God. He is God and that he's greater. And I believe one of the greatest temptations uh, in this day in which we live, y'all, as Christians, and I would say in any area, any era, okay, but I know it is in our time, would be complacency. Complacency to where you can, we can just sort of, all right, I give my life to Jesus when I die, I'm going to heaven, I'll bring my kids to church, you know, or I'll do this, and, and, and yet there's not a whole lot of fight in us. We're not actively engaged. I believe most of it's done on our knees, I believe it's done. You hear about the term a prayer warrior. I believe that. And I believe there are prayer warriors. I believe we should all be that. Some people have a special calling and that really is their ministry and they may pray hours and hours and hours and hours and every day and you never see them hardly. They're not out witnessing, but they're praying, okay? All of us are called to a life of prayer though. May not be to be an intercessor uh, to the extent that maybe others are. But we need to know that our God is God and he's greater and I need to live like that. I need to live like he's greater. It's not an arrogance at all. It's a faith and a confidence in God. If anything, it would be a humility and a submission to the Lord um, because Satan is trying to keep us from getting a full inheritance. You know what I mean? All the blessings, all the peace that, is, that should be yours. Do you experience it all the time? I don't. I'll let things eat away at my peace because I think about something that troubles me. I can't watch Fox News or any news too much, although if I watch news, I'm going to watch Fox News. But I don't watch much because I get so mad so quickly. I can watch two minutes, and I see what this guy's saying, and I know they're full of baloney, and they're not telling the truth, and... And it just makes me mad. And if I'll think on those things and submit, subject myself to that, I will be uh, fearful because things are not going the right way as a whole, all right? Or I will be mad or I will be aggravated or agitated. And all of a sudden, my peace is not there. And so we have to set our minds on the, on the Lord like we talked about and bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, a lot of times you're in the midst of work or school where there's ungodliness all around you and ungodly philosophies on the LSU campus or Southeastern campus or wherever. And yet you can't, 
that's why we have to take our full time when we can pray. I need to take time every day to renew that with the Lord. Let my mind be washed with the Word of God and get myself back filled with the Spirit of God and see the Lord. Because when I see the Lord, then the, the raging world out there that's shaking its fist against God and everything Christian and good and godly, they, they seem a lot smaller and more puny when I see God and His glory. So I have to take time to gather with believers to study my Bible when I'm not gathered with believers, to pray, to read His Word, to set my mind on the Lord, to encourage myself in the Lord. And the Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I quote that scripture all the time. It's Ephesians 6.10 if you're taking notes. But that is where our power comes from. Satan wants to rob all of our blessings, our joy, our peace, our our testimony, our good night's sleep. It's a gift from God. The Bible, says, the Bible says sleep's a gift from God. I don't sleep well at night because I'm letting the world creep in on me and, and aggravate me and agitate me. But I'm still born again. I'm still His child. I'd go in the rapture, but, but maybe I'm, I'm being overcome at certain times or seasons in my life and the Lord doesn't want us to be overcome. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It doesn't mean we're going to Christianize the world. It doesn't mean we're going to flip the table and we go from less than 50% to more than 50% believers on the planet. It's way less, I would say, than 50% believers on the planet. I don't think it's, the scale's going to tip like that because, because we just took over the world kind of thing. But I can walk with the Lord. I can walk in His power and His might that He's given me. Uh, and, and the temptation, again, I believe, is to, to let down our guard a little bit, to relax, to be complacent. Things that we used to stand against adamantly and we don't stand against them anymore. about sinful things. Uh, I, we see it, right? When, when I was in high school, I'm the oldest one in this room. When I was in high school, uh, like the homosexual thing was unthinkable. It's not that there weren't people that were homosexuals. There were. There's always been that. But it, as far as it being so mainstream and accepted, not even close. But somewhere along the line, little compromises, little compromises. And now you wake up one day and you say, I'm in the minority. I'm totally in the minority. With my buddies in high school, we weren't in the minority as far as public opinion. I'm just talking about public opinion, okay? <clears throat> it would have been totally, you know, I remember going um, the summer between my junior and senior year, I think that was the year it was, um, I have a cousins that live in Burbank, California, and I went and spent a couple of weeks with my cousin, a girl cousin, and her, her parents and all. And um, she took me around, showed me all the sights of Los Angeles and everything, and she brought me to a gay bar and showed me, not we didn't go in it, but just like, oh, and look over here. And she goes, this is where all the, these people are. And I'm from Baton Rouge, you know, this is 1982 or 81, whatever. And I knew, it wasn't like I didn't know about these things, but it was like, it was like an oddity. She was showing me a sight, okay? And she showed it to me and we were both like, she and I both were like, oh, you know. But the, the point is that the, Things, a little compromise, I know you know this, a little compromise, a little compromise, and all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, this didn't happen overnight, but it seems like it happens overnight. Because they go from quiet, 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 to all of a sudden 
you better do what we say. You better hire the transgenders and you better have a bathroom that allows both. Bam, that happened. That part does happen overnight. So it goes from an opinion and talking about it and all of a sudden they're telling you what to do. And who are you to, to stand against it? Well, the same thing can happen. I think that's just a sign, okay? But the same thing can happen in our Christianity if we're not engaged in, in, fight, in the fight, okay? And fighting against uh, these things. Now, a lot of things in life, y'all, we can compromise on. And a lot of things in life we should if it's just like my want or my desire. I want hamburgers every night, you know? And it, no, we want to eat something else sometime besides just what you want. Things in life we compromise on and we should. We can never compromise on God, what He's given us to walk in. That's the point. And when we start lowering our standards on all of a sudden homosexuality, we'll change our belief on that. We'll change our belief on this, that, or the other. On things, TV shows we would, uh, time passed in our Christianity, we would not have watched. Things we have not let our children look at or listen to or friends that we let them hang out with now that we used to, we would not have let them hang out with. Well, God didn't change and, and sin didn't change either. We changed. Somewhere along the line, we compromised and we stopped fighting. What happens is, and I believe this, I, I believe what happens is we'll come to a point where we we'll say, is this really worth fighting for? It just, it'd be so much easier. Let me just give in on this thing. Again, if we're talking about food, the color of the carpet, the paint on the wall, and stuff like that, you compromise to make peace. Do that to show that you're preferring others and esteeming others better than yourself. When it comes to truth, God's truth and His Word and His holiness and His holy standard that He's called His people to live by, that absolutely never changes. It doesn't stay a notch above society's decline. It stays flat. It is what it is. Be holy, for I am holy. As he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. And so that standard doesn't change. And so we have to watch the, uh, the tendency to sort of give in and give up. And the Bible says that we're, uh, we're to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this world that he might please him who's called him to be a soldier. And so there is a fight going on and we, we're not to compromise with this world or even get entangled. I'm so occupied or preoccupied with the world over here that I'm not being faithful to Christ who redeemed me. He saved me. He called me to this fight and he called me to walk in it. Amen. The Bible says in the millennium, we read it this morning in Sunday school, they'll beat their, their uh, swords into plowshares and pruning hooks and so forth, and they won't, nations won't learn war anymore. So there's a peaceful time coming, but it's not now. Jesus said from the time of John the Baptist to now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And so he's talking about an aggressive, uh, I need to lay hold on eternal life. I need to believe it. I need to live this way and die this way. You understand what I mean? To lay hold on God and not to compromise. And, and I'll, I'll be bringing this to an end, but in the, uh, in the Bible, I'll just read this in Ephesians 6, 12 through 13. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's very similar to the passage we read in Corinthians. But against principalities, against powers. This is Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's just any evil time that we face. And having done all, to stand. And so, you know, that we read through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you see highlighted physical battles. We talked about Moses and Egypt. There was physical, right? I mean, there's a physical, it was spiritual all in it, but there was a physical slavery, a physical enemy, and a physical Red Sea that parted, right? And we see it all through the Bible. David fighting Goliath. You see real battles. Philistines and the, and the Israelites, right? Midianites and Gideon and the handful of Hebrews. We see real battles. Those are pictures. They were real, but they're pictures in our day of the spiritual warfare that's going on. Goliath, you know, looks overpowering. <clears throat> Egypt looks overpowering. Uh, the Midianites, like the sand and the seashore, were just out there like grasshoppers in multitude. And it, he went out with 300 men against them. Gideon did. Their pictures, they were real, but they're illustrations to us of the type of fight that we're in. It's a real enemy. He's not merciful. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. He's a thief. He's great at intimidating. He's very good at intimidating. To make you get back in your place, little Christian, just shut up and go and keep your mouth shut. Satan wants to intimidate you. You won't get a job. You won't get a promotion. You won't get the scholarship. You won't do this. You won't get elected to office, whatever. If you're a Christian, you're public about your Christianity. Well, you know what's going to happen? Whatever God wants to happen, that's what's going to happen. He wants to intimidate and to shut us up. And so those are pictures. Those physical battles are pictures of real battle that we're in. And I'm going to just close with a few thoughts, okay, y'all? That uh, the battles that we're in, though they're not physical, I'm not fighting a 10 or 12 foot high giant, all right, with a slingshot. I'm not physically fighting him. But the battles that you and I are in as believers are just as real as that. And that's what I think sometimes we don't think. We just think, oh, it's a little TV show. It's a little law that was passed about, you know, whatever. Churches can't do this. You can't witness out on the streets or whatever. But the battles we're in are just as real. And they're just as serious, okay? And just as significant or even more so. They're, they're contending. I'll read this. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That means intensely strive after. That believers are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Not another faith, not an ad- uh, morphed faith or evolved faith. That Christianity is different in our day. That we would earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He says, it's needful that I write that unto you. And that you see it because he talked about people crept in unawares. Well, I want to close with a few thoughts that uh, the battles are just as real and God wants us to be uh, engaged with what's going on. Again, I said that at the beginning. We're not spectators. We're not in the audience watching the Super Bowl on TV or in person. We're engaged. I mean, somebody's coming at me to try to do me harm. Me, personally. Okay? To your families. 
and to your friends, into your lives, into your joy, into your testimony for Christ, into your peace, your personal peace. Satan wants to take it. And we need to be engaged in that fight through on our knees. I don't have any new methods this morning, okay? I'm not trying to bring you some new thing. I'm talking about falling before the Lord in consistent, fervent prayer that he talks about. I'm talking about coming together as believers, not a little cult. I'm talking about the family of God coming together to worship God, to exhort one another, all the more as we see the day approaching, that we need to stand in the power of His might. And as we do, we're going to prevail. We're not fighting simply uh, hoping that we win. Ultimately, the victory is assured. I'm talking about being in a fight because of what Christ did on the cross. But for this time and for this season, He wants us to fight. It kind of, you know, if we can understand it that way. The victory is assured. Just pick up your Bible and read it, all right? The outcome for my life as a believer and all the people of God and what He has in store for us, that is going to come to pass. And it's going to be blissful and wonderful, joy unspeakable, all right? Perfect. Better than we can ever imagine. That is our future and that is the ultimate end. But while we're here in 2018, he wants us to be engaged in fighting for his name's sake, for his glory, to show his power and his might in weak earthen vessels like what we have here. He wants us to walk in the power of his might and he wants us to, to walk in faith. He wants us to know the enemy and understand the conflict so we know what we're fighting. I was reading this little illustration. When World War I broke out, the war ministry in London dispatched a coded message to one of the British outposts uh, in some inaccessible Africa, uh, area of Africa. The message read, we de war is declared, arrest all enemy aliens in your district. The war ministry received this prompt reply and he replied back to London. He said, we have arrested, have arrested 10 Germans, six Belgians, four Frenchmen, two Italians, three Austrians, and, and an American. Please advise immediately who we are at war with. They just arrested all these people that they didn't, that weren't British, and said, we got them locked up, we've done just fine, but help, tell, tell us who we're at war with. Well, as Christians, we need to know, okay? We're not ignorant of his devices. The Bible says, Satan as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfastly in the faith. We open with a scripture like that from James. And knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. And so we, I just want to close with this thought that, that we're not necessarily just fighting for victory. We are daily victories, you know, like our peace and our joy. Christ won the victory on the cross over Satan, over death, over the grave. He's finished that. I'm in Christ. And so that, that ultimately is mine and it ultimately is yours, that victory. Okay, he's not asking ask me to go out and do what he's already done. He is asking me that daily to be engaged and fight like I'm a soldier of Christ with his might, with his authority and casting out demons and and uh, striving against sin in your own personal life and going into the darkness to reach people for Jesus Christ with his gospel. I don't even have to make up the story. I just bring the gospel. It's his and, and bring it out there and walk in it and, and walk like with this assurance of victory. He wants us to walk in that assurance and that confidence and faith. I'm going to close with this, this scripture. You can turn with me and read. 
and we'll just close and, and have some time at the altar. First John chapter two. an interesting little passage. We're going to read 12 through 14 and then 4, 4. 1 John 2, 12 through 14. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. That's an interesting little passage. When I've studied, it's not just talking about physical ages, like young men, little children, fathers. It's talking about different places where a person is in their spiritual growth in their walk with the Lord. It has nothing to do with the actual age. And it talks about uh, overcoming, in verse 14, you have overcome the wicked one. And, and they're, they're fighting and they're understanding. It's all based on faith and it's all based on the relationship with God because you've known the Father, because you've known Him that's from the beginning, because you have overcome, it says two times in verse 13 and 14, you have overcome the wicked one. And so there is an overcoming, even though Christ overcame Satan on the cross, and he did, he did that for me, and I'm in Christ, and his victory is my victory. Still, for a season, a season, you have to look at your life on this earth as being a season. This is my time on this earth right now. It's going to come to an end. It could come to an end today. We could be raptured today, all right? We could call us home today. But either way, this is a season and it has a very definite end, right? Teach us to number our days, Moses said in the Psalms. Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom because the clock's ticking, not an eternity. We'll spend an eternity forever with God. But on this earthly life, okay, it's ticking and it's gonna come to an end. And I want to live it and God wants you and me to live it in such a way that we're engaged, we're walking the way He's called us to walk, filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with gentleness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. He wants us to be a happy people and joyful, but understanding what the will of God is, understanding the enemy that we're fighting, not like this guy in World War I who, please tell us who we're fighting against. We know who we're fighting against. And so He wants us to be engaged and a walk in that. And we'll close with 1 John 4, 4. Year of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we're just going to close in prayer. And, and, and y'all, honestly, I just want us to, uh, to understand the conflict that we're in, the nature of the conflict, who our enemy is, who our God is, and then to walk daily in the provisions that he's given us. He did not leave us unequipped. He, he put us in the sh his sheep in the midst of wolves, but he's with us. And it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And he, he definitely has chosen us to live an exciting time. We're living in the last times. 
I don't know if that means another 100 years, another 100 minutes, I don't know. But we're living in the last days, and he's called us to be what he's called us to be in this hour. This little handful of people right here, he's called us to be it. So I'm going to close this in prayer. The altars are open. Peter, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just go play that, because I'm not going to play it. Just play that, that first instrumental tape just quietly in there. But Father, we just come before you. <coughs> in Jesus' name, God. And I want to thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. We're not hoping that you win. You've already won. You said it's finished. And you came to destroy the works of the devil. You said that at your first coming. And Lord, you've done that. But you've given Satan a measure of power, a measure of authority in this earth. He's called the God of this world. And you've set us as believers, the redeemed of Christ, washed in your blood as salt and light, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in the midst of Satan's kingdom, we're here. But we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of, of promise. And Lord, you've called us to live to where others see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And I pray that all of us, God, would wake up if we've been in a sleep or a haze spiritually and we would be engaged in the conflict we would know who our enemy is. We would know who our God is. And we would war a good fight. Paul said, I've finished my course. I've run the race. I've fought the good fight and finished it. He finished everything and fought. And he ran. And he completed all that you had him to. And Father, I pray that we would do that as a church and individually. And we don't want to give Satan one inch in our lives, not one inch of compromise how we raise our children, how we relate to people at work, in what we set before our eyes, what we listen to. We don't want to give one inch of compromise. God, your standard of holiness has not changed. Your standard of conduct and godliness has not changed. And it's possible for us to live such a life of holiness by the new birth and the power of your spirit living in us, God. By faith, would you help us to walk it out? We're not just rolling over on our backs and letting the devil trample on us or our families. We want to be engaged and stand upon the rock of our salvation, God, and be strong in you, Lord, in the power of your might. God, would you help us, God? And thank you that you are helping us. In Jesus' name.